0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Pursuit of Service podcast. In this day and age in society, in the midst of election season, there tends to be a lot of interpersonal conflict, disagreements uh, that can range from everything from politics, but apply to other areas of life as well, such as business or other negotiations. Today, Brian and I will talk about how to deal with interpersonal conflict and how to prepare yourself to deal with it constructively and really value relationships first. So grab your notebook, grab a pen, and the downloadable resource, and get ready to make yourself a better leader.
1: All right, everybody, welcome to this edition of the Pursuit of Service podcast. My name is Brian Dodd. And I am here with my co-host, Jeff Wright. Jeff, how are you doing, my friend?
0: Good. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening.
1: Yeah, I th- I, you know, I think we're going to talk about a very important topic today. I think it's going to hit home with everybody who's listening to this. And I hope it just kind of helps provide some perspective and helps people navigate these troubled waters that we're in. And uh, we're going to be talking about conflict resolution uh, as our topic.
0: Yeah, I think it's obviously very timely, um, but even as timely as it is now, it's also timeless, meaning it, it can always be applied and always be used. So it should be good, I hope.
1: Yeah, definitely. And uh, if you're listening to this in the future, you've discovered us and you're just kind of listening to some old episodes. Jeff and I are actually recording this on Monday, November the 2nd, which is a very important date in American history because on Tuesday, November 3rd, We will be having our general elections uh, to elect a number of political appointments, including the president of the United States. And uh, so there is certainly a lot of conflict right now, a lot of how to manage conflict, and hopefully a lot of resolution of conflict. So that's kind of gonna provide the framework for what we talk about. Um, So uh, Jeff, what do you say that I open us up with a little story from my past And then we kind of break it down and kind of use it as a template of really what not to do, but some lessons on what to do moving forward.
0: Absolutely. Let's hear it.
1: All right. So we're going to go back in time now. Story time with Brian Dodd. And we're going to go back to the year 1993. Uh, A lot of people, depending on your age, may or may not remember the presidential election of 1992 when... Uh, at that time, Governor Bill Clinton defeated President George Bush for the presidency. But the evangelical Christians in America, uh, not the African American Church, because they are predominantly Democrat, not you know, not everyone, but just as a voting block. Uh, that's, that's how that voting block uh, tends to lean. Uh, but the Caucasian, I'll call it First Baptist, First Methodist, Community Church, those, those type of churches, um, were very passionate Republicans. And really, believe it or not, you could go back from a history perspective and look at this, there were many of us who thought the election of Bill Clinton was literally going to uh, usher in the second coming of Christ, that Jesus was going to come back. And there was all night prayer vigils for that election, believe it or not, where entire churches would come together and pray throughout the entire night before the election. And uh, so anyway, it was, a, it, was a, it was a massive defeat. So we were not happy as a group with Bill Clinton being in office. And a certain event came up called NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement, which, which actually is, has been changed under President Trump. But Uh, it was being passed and Ross Perot, who was a third party candidate in 1992, uh, was very vocal about his opposition to that legislation. So uh, President Clinton dispatched Vice President Al Gore to have a debate with Ross Perot on Larry King Live about the subject of NAFTA. And Larry King Live was an extremely influential program uh, back in 1993. So we were having a Sunday school party and all of us were interested in politics. And this young couple, Jeff, really a little, little younger than you and Laura had started uh, visiting our class. And so we were at this party and we are just hammering President Clinton. And we're going, can you believe, can you imagine what what Al Gore said to Tipper when he went home and goes, honey, can you, let me tell you what my boss made me do today. And let me tell you what my boss did. I mean, and we are just ruthless in, in our assault on President Clinton. Well, just like all Sunday school classes and, you know, people who attend it and all that, at a certain point, we look over at this couple and, um, and we said, what do you do for a living? Standard question. She looks at us and she goes, we help Democratic candidates prepare for debates. And we all kind of laughed and go, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Seriously, what do you do for a living? She goes, I am serious. Wow. I work for an organization that we help prep Democratic candidates for debates. And she goes, this is the most political class I've ever been a part of. And then what happened, we tried to do damage control, but that couple never came back to the class. And for my knowledge, never came back to that church again. And I remember Jeff thinking at that moment, um, no opinion of mine is ever important enough that it's worth damaging somebody's pursuit of the gospel or running them away from church. Hmm. And if if I'm asked my opinion, I mean, if I'm asked, I'll I'll be glad to share my opinions and why I do that. But I'm always going to be extraordinarily open handed about it, extraordinarily graceful about it. And and, you know, I I told I told my uh, my wife and daughter this past weekend, I was relaying that story to them. And I told them, I said, unless somebody is, is out to harm the two of you, my in laws, or, or somebody really close to me, I really don't know a topic that's worth losing the relationship over. Yeah. And, the, and the reality of it is, we can disagree and we can disagree without being disagreeable. And we can have differing views. And, and look at things, and, and I look at, and I'm going to talk specifically about the White Evangelical Church right now, uh, there, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of venom in the water about, you know, whether you're voting for or against President Trump, you know, in this particular election. And I'm not inserting myself into those conversations or anything of that nature. But, uh, you know, our pastor, Ike Reichert, has a great phrase. He says, you know, the safest place in a fire is where it's already burnt. So I don't feel the need to rush into a fire. Um, But as the role of a peacekeeper and as a role of saying, you know, God is sovereign and God ultimately puts people in positions of authority and because he has put them in authority, we should respect the office and we should pray for them and we should pray for their success. And, you know, um, that's the way we need to handle things. But I learned a very difficult lesson in 1993 about how my passion about a political stance on a party. um, Now, look, if you ask me about a specific topic, I'll be glad to discuss a specific topic, pro-life, things like that. We should be passionate about, as Christians, we should be passionate about things that have a biblical line in the sand no doubt about it but I'm not going to lose a I'm not going to lose a relationship on how I felt Trump's tweet last night should have happened or what I feel about a specific piece of legislation with China or you know some other thing those are not worth losing relationships over and I think there's room for multiple opinions and multiple perspectives and that's, that's one way that I think dealing with conflict for the last uh, 27 years has helped me deal with conflict and not lose relationships, even in the midst of the most harshest critic, uh, governmental and political environments.
0: Yeah, that's tremendous. And And really what it comes down to is your priority, right? And humility. So you've decided and you said you know you've decided or, or chosen that no opinion is ever worth damaging any relationship or hurting a relationship and you know that applies to any sort of conflict in my opinion I mean there are always the outliers that break relationships in terms of conflict but when it comes to disagreement or differing of, of opinions or strategies or, or business disagreements to take the stance of humility that you're describing which is is this worth hurting the relationship? I think that can change our, our frame of reference in any kind of situation.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, there's an old saying first person I ever heard say it was my old boss, John Maxwell. Um, You know, he has never regretted taking the high road and he has never gone down taking the high road. And so there, there's going to be issues that arise Um, you know, Jeff, you and I attend Piedmont church and you, you help lead the young married class. Well, you know, I know a lot of people at our church that are very passionate in their support for, uh, you know, vice president Biden and Senator Kamala Harris in this campaign and very anti Donald Trump. Uh, there are people on the other side of that fence and we're all under the same roof. And I respect the opinions of whatever side you're going to fall on. But the relationship, the lastingness of the relationship and looking at things through your eyes and understanding this, there's a concept called sanctification. We are not going to be everything God has called us to be till we get to heaven. So between here and there, we are completely imperfect people. And there's enough to find wrong with, with anybody. And it's just not worth the long game and the long-term perspective. And ultimately, Jeff, and you and I have talked about this, and I know you're passionate about this topic, and I'll turn it back over to you. This podcast is called The Pursuit of Service. And ultimately, the only successful leadership model is a servant leadership model. And it's extraordinarily difficult to serve somebody you're in a passionate disagreement with. And I know that's something you're passionate about.
0: Yeah, my take on conflict resolution, whether it's disagreement about politics or interpersonal conflicts at work or even within your family, is what it really all comes down to is this. Are you in the frame of mind? Are you, are you positioning yourself so that you are serving that other person first? I will always go back to serve others, not as a task, but as a purpose, because that will lead to success, including in your relationships. So with that framework of relationships are more important than my opinion. And in any interpersonal conflict, am I serving the other person first? Uh, A little teaser on uh, what we'll talk about when we're uh, when we talk about what we're learning. uh, But I'm listening to a masterclass. And I'll tell you the Uh, title and the teacher later but um, it's really a a, an influence in communication lesson and one of the things that he talks about is there um, is kind of two things that jump out as far as this goes is the first is we all have certain mental bias and emotional biases and one of them is confirmation bias so that means we are always looking to prove our opinions or our preconceived notions to begin with. Mm -hmm. So my point is just having that awareness allows you to open your mind. If your objective is truly to serve someone else, to bridge and build a relationship, and that should be the purpose of accomplishing a business mission, a church mission, strengthening a relationship, getting a business deal done, solving a problem, whatever it is, you have to do that first. And then the other one is uh, he said, put yourself in the other person's shoes, take their perspective and this just goes back to what I was saying a second ago, you have to put yourself in a position where you are genuinely looking to serve the other person first.
1: All right, so Jeff, you said a key word there and that's the word perspective. So uh, I'm going to share something I learned from this past week as it relates to perspective. And it's a simple exercise that all our listeners can do right now. And so if you're live and you're watching me live, it, it may have a little more impact, but I'm gonna to try to describe it well. So if, you're, if you, uh, you wanna see what your perspective is, do this. First of all, you'll raise your dominant hand. So you'll raise either your right hand or your left hand. Then you'll snap five quick times. Okay, so you'll snap five quick times. Then you'll hold up your index finger. And now you draw a capital E on your forehead, okay? So you're either going to draw it to the left or to the right. So the question comes down to this. And I've done this with several people and it's running about 50-50. Did you write the capital E on your forehead so you could read it or so other people could read it? That simple exercise will tell you, is your primary focus on yourself and serving yourself and it being about you first, just as a natural default, or is your natural default seeing things from the other person's perspective and seeing things so that, uh, you know, they can read it first and how are they thinking and how are they feeling? Uh, like I said, I've done that with several people. I'm running about 50-50 uh, of people who do it one way or the other.
0: That's good. What a great test. Um, and really what that is requiring is being incredibly intentional. Like you got to really want to know that answer and have the intellectual honesty to test that and to learn about that. And just like the biases that we face, uh, the different emotional biases and everything, they exist and it takes us being incredibly self-reflective um, to do that. So even in, in any negotiation or any disagreement or any discussion, taking that is really helpful. Um, so someone might say, well, I'm trying to win an argument or I'm trying to win a negotiation or a deal. How yeah. the heck is me putting them ahead of me? That's not going to benefit me. And to that, I would say, well, do you want to be a better leader or not?
1: Yeah, there, uh, Jeff, it's a, Okay. So I'm in, I'm part of my daytime job is sales, okay? I, I sell a product, I sell a service, I sell myself, okay? There's a couple of practical ways you can look at that. And a lot of it is, you, you know, you've heard about the abundance mentality or the scarcity mentality. The, you've heard about the long game and the short game. You know, I'm 54 years old at this time of this taping. Um, I've been at my organization 18 years, I I have learned how quickly two or three years can pass in the blink of an eye, two or three years can pass. So here's the thing, let's say I'm selling to a particular customer, and I get 100% of the deal. But they did not enjoy the process at all, they did not feel valued or anything of that nature. They're going to need additional products and services in the very near future. Who are they going to? But if I do a win-win that I come in at 80 or 90%, which is enough for us to win, it helps them. It adds value to them. A relationship is built. Guess who gets their next additional products or additional sales? And that's why I always tell young salespeople, the people that make the most sales are not the people that need to make the sale. In other words, I'm not here for survival. I'm not here to hit my monthly goal. I am here to add value and serve you. And if I add enough value and I serve you well, I don't have a one-time customer. I have a 10-year customer. And recurring revenue, anybody knows, is the secret to a successful business. But you only get recurring revenue by adding tremendous value on the front end. Um, so yeah, if you want to be a successful salesperson, uh, selling you know soap, software, you know products, services, anything of that nature. If your primary goal is not to make them better, make their life better and connect your products and resources to their life, which goes back to perspective again, do you know what their needs are? Just because they walked on a lot does not mean they need a new car, okay? But if you do that, yes, you're gonna be an incredibly successful salesperson. You're gonna be an incredibly successful leader you're going to be a successful husband, father, church member, pastor, vice president, owner, whatever your role is, husband, father, if you look at it from their perspective and your primary goal is to serve them and add value to them, you have just won the long game.
0: Absolutely. And just to highlight that last list that you kind of went off on, and then even in the middle of the story, the fundamental there is in the relationship. It's it's rarely about the thing right whether it's the product the service or about the political issue or the topic at hand or the debate or the negotiation it's not about the thing it's about the person and so you can make yourself even more successful by taking that perspective by showing and and actually obtaining empathy developing that common ground that common ground common ground and uh, is well is where success is built upon, not yeah. in divide.
1: Yeah, and here's another thing I'd say. There's a very well-known uh, main artery highway near our house, Jeff, called Highway 92, okay? And I'm just going to go through a series of services. You're not in the banking business. You're in the people business. You're not in the car wash business. You're in the people business. You're not in the food services business. You're in the people business. You're not in the grocery business. You're in the people business. And I could go on and on down the road. And you're right. Relationships are everything. And when you're in any productive, meaningful, life-giving relationship, it's because you go into it with a servant attitude and you go into it with not what I can gain from this relationship, but how can I serve that person and make their life better?
0: Yep, absolutely. Uh, I'd like to share three quick strategies that I think we can take when we go into these discussions and conversations and perhaps even debates. The first is ask yourself, what are my biases or my preconceived notions? Just like we talked about. But really asking yourself that question forces you to think about it. Um, And if nothing else, the revelation of your biases in the debate can be a disadvantage to you to begin with it can be alienating you could you know put off the wrong vibe or the wrong information so to mitigate that is helpful in the conversation the second one ask yourself what's important to them the perspective question just like we talked about what are the, what are they valuing here what do they value what are they trying to accomplish what's important to them what's not so important to them because then you can frame your conversation and and, you know frame what you're trying to say and what you're trying to present and what you're trying to accomplish in a way that's mutually beneficial Um, and then this one is a new one so we haven't talked about it yet but I think it's probably the most important um, especially in this day and age meaning today and tomorrow respect the person and not the opinion Hmm. honor the person not the opinion because everybody's perspective is a little bit different on everything no one's ever going to no two people will ever agree on a hundred percent of every topic or debate or negotiation or anything so if we underscore relationships we should honor the person and not so much the opinion
1: well jeff i tell you that list of three first of all i think that's a great worksheet and should be the downloadable resource and people could just use that as the checklist we'll post it and uh, yeah, and second, I have nothing to add to that, my friend. Anything I would do at this point would just be bringing sand to the beach.
0: So, well, thanks for um sharing your story. One follow up to the story you told at the beginning of the episode. So, um, have there been any times that you've come across since then where you were able to take what you learned from that instance, um, and you know, perhaps keep people in the class or dispel an awkward situation or, or reduce or avoid some tension or something like that?
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, let's go back. And to answer the question, there's been multiple times that I've been in that situation. Um, let's go back. And if I had it to do all over again, how I would have handled that event back in 1993. Okay. Um, first of all, as a, as a Christian leader, you need to be having a quiet time every day in the morning, first thing. So your heart needs to be right. Your head needs to be right. You need to be viewing things from a biblical worldview and a biblical perspective throughout the day. That way you don't get ambushed into any negative situations. Okay. So that's, that's, you know, that's the infamous of ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure. Okay. So let, but let's say that we had that party again and that young couple was there it might be nice if I asked them about their life first, before we start giving our opinions on stuff. Number one, that's just being a polite person and a good host. Yeah. So it would be good to start the day out. And let's say she opened up by saying, Oh, well, what I do is I help democratic uh, candidates prepare for debates. And here's how I'd handle it today. That is fascinating, which by the way, it would be fascinating. You know either side of the aisle, it'd be fascinating, but I'd go, I'd go, you know, that is, that is fascinating. First of all, how'd you get into that? I mean, I didn't even know that was an industry or a career or anything of that nature. How did you even get into that? And then I would not get into the debating of the topics, because let's just be honest, I'd probably be out of my league on that, but, but I would say, walk me through how you prepare somebody for a debate. How do you anticipate the questions they're going to ask? You know, how long do you, do you plan on doing this? Do you always want to be behind the debater or do you want to be the debater one day? You, you know, uh, how do you keep your emotions under control when something you are very passionate about, the person you are debating is 100% equally as passionate about the opposite topic as you. How do you determine success in a debate? How do you know if you won or lost, or is that just perception? I would spend all my time asking them questions. Because when I ask them questions, if if they're a polite person and you build a relationship, which this has always been my experience, that this has been the case, they will then ask me questions. And then I'd say something like this, well, you know, I'll be honest with you. I I think what we've done here is very fascinating because, um, I'm a Republican, you're a Democrat, but we've proven we can be friends and still disagree. And, uh, and then I would just talk about, wouldn't it be great if the rest of the country could have the type of conversation that we just had? And I would just build the relationship that way. Um, Interestingly, as I now say this out loud, and I didn't anticipate you asking me that question, but if you go back and listen to the first eight minutes of the previous podcast we did, where I interviewed Jeff Perlman, the author of the new book, Three Ring Circus, um, in terms of how society would classify us and put us in buckets, him and I are as different as you can be, but we actually talked about how we could have, we could build Uh, common ground and build a good friendship and not let those differences divide us but actually add flavor to the relationship but here's the deal wisdom is in great questions not great answers i'm not interested in winning a debate i'm interested in winning a friendship and i don't have enough friends i don't care how many friends i got i got room for one more Yep. and uh i would lead with you know it goes back to everything you said jeff Uh, You know, you lead by service and you lead by perspective, you lead by understanding their perspective and serving them and adding value to them. And if I could go back to 1993, that's how I would have handled that evening.
0: Yeah. And and I don't know if you did it intentionally, but you illustrated in describing how you would handle it, each of those steps, because your first question is about them. What do you do for a living? Your second thought was basically recognizing that you have a different political perspective, but you wanted to focus on the relationship and build the relationship, which is what that whole conversation did. And then you showed that person a lot of honor by asking about, you know, their value, their skill set, their profession, their processes. I mean, there's a lot to be learned from a different perspective and and, you know, the different skill sets, whether or not an opinion or not, you know, it is congruent or in conflict.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, Jeff, you brought it up earlier. I think this is a, a great time to transition to the what are you learning segment. And uh, you brought it up earlier. So what have you been learning since the last time we got together?
0: Yeah, so you and I have discussed masterclass. And I think it's just a phenomenal tool to learn from some of the best minds in, in any field, from business to cooking, to sports, to media, to design, you name it. Um, and we've talked about some of those in the past, but the, I think it's a new one that came out in the last few weeks and I listened to it. It's by, um, Daniel, is it pink? Daniel yeah. So pink.
1: my, ironically, I'm taking that class right now. That's where I got the example of the E writing yep. the e on your forehead.
0: Yep. And so he is a, um, he is a, a, sort of a sales expert and has written several books about sales and that sort of thing. And this class is called sales and persuasion, but what really, what it's really about, Um, is influence and communication so it's not a how to trick someone into buying something it's really that concept of empathy and bridging the gap putting yourself in their perspective just enough so you can properly communicate the value that you're providing Mm. so it's really more of an influence and communication lesson uh, more so in my opinion than sales because at the end of the day nowadays sales is a relationship uh built business anyways like you were saying yeah What are you learning about?
1: Yeah, what I'm learning, uh, this falls under the heading of culture. You know, our last podcast was on culture. And you've got to take these concepts and apply them to your individual context, whether it be business or family, uh, you know. But it's the interesting thing that you can tell a lot about an athletic team's culture by their huddles during timeouts. And let me explain, because Hmm. here's what you all learn in the huddle. Number one, uh, huddles are a limited time. There's a limited amount of time in the huddle. Every moment is precious. First of all, does the team walk to the huddle or run to the huddle during a timeout? So does it maximize the opportunity or does it uh, just take it as laissez-faire, optional, non-important, non-urgent? Secondly, Uh, If you look at an effective huddle, here's what happens the moment a timeout is called. Some people bring five chairs out. The players on the floor immediately go to the five chairs. The coaches then immediately stand behind the players for two reasons. Number one, they can watch what the coach communicates to the player. And number two, they can block the audience and the people behind the bench so they eliminate distractions. The bench players immediately surround the huddle. There's no sidebar conversations. There's no people staring out in the crowds. Everybody should be focused on the coach and uh, they should be connected in some capacity. They should have their arms around each other or their arms locked, or there should be some form of connectedness and unity and we're in it together. And when they're all huddled around and they're all focused in on what the coach is saying, there's value to the coach, there's preparation. Also, you've got a, a... a group of people that as soon as a timeout is called, they have drinks already ready. So when the players sit down, they begin to provide that nourishment and refreshment. There's no waiting on the drinks. Everything's working quickly. And the coach can then make eye contact with everybody on the team in terms of that moment. So next time you're watching a basketball game, which this is where you can see this played out, if you want to know about that team's culture, and if you want to know about that team's success, number one, do they quickly and immediately go into the huddle, which means have they practiced unity and cohesion in adverse situations? Is, it a, is communication in the midst of chaos a priority, and how, have they practiced on how to handle that? Is every member of the team devoted to the success of the team, or are they standing off on the side or looking into the crowd or anything of that nature? Is the coach prepared? Is the leader prepared to make adjustments based upon what's going on? Does the team then trust the coach enough that they will look at him and pay attention, and then the coach will then look at them and make eye contact with each person as they go through the adjustments? and are the assistant coaches blocking out the distractions so that that everyone on the team can be focused on the issue at hand? Those are the issues I have learned by watching and reading studies about how a huddle operates. So if you're looking at one culture versus the other culture, you can tell a lot about which one's gonna be successful by how the huddle operates. And in terms of ministry, in terms of business, in terms of nonprofit, we all have our own versions of the huddle. And so however our huddles operate, call it a weekly meeting or something of that nature, but how our huddles operate, tell us a lot about our culture and a lot about if we're going to be successful moving forward.
0: That's fascinating. It is. That's good. Well, yeah. thanks everybody for listening, Brian. Thanks for sharing that story, which uh, kicked off our conversation today on conflict resolution.
1: Hey, Jeff. Anytime people can learn from my mistakes, I've got plenty of them. It's an endless well of resources that I can share, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I hope pe- I hope people learn from that. And uh, hey, I hope it helps you build stronger relationships, longer lasting relationships, and you know, helps you be a peacekeeper during some potentially challenging times as you get together with family during the holiday season coming up.
0: Yep. Thanks for listening, everybody. Take care.